Joe Biden finally ends Bernie's red dreams. Biden gets aggressive with Michigan voters and coronavirus continues to haunt the country. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Your data is your business. protected at expressvpn.com slash Ben. Well, I know that right now you're thinking to yourself, where did this sexy new voice come from, Ben Shapiro? Well, the answer is that it came from not sleeping for a full week, thanks to my child, combined with a fast day earlier this week. So no, I'm not dying of coronavirus. And no, it has not translated into this brand new Barry White-like voice. No, indeed, this is just me being a little bit dried out. So hopefully my voice will be back to its nasal self quite soon. Well, the big news last night, Joe Biden has taken command of the Democratic race. He won four states, including Michigan, in the primaries last night. And that puts an end to Bernie Sanders and his red dreams, which is great news for the country. It really is good news for the country because it would have been very bad if one of our major parties had circulated around a human being who was a backer of every communist regime known to man and was basically a Soviet fellow traveler for 30 years before the Soviet Union actually fell. Now, that's a good thing. I know there are a lot of people in Republican conservative circles who today are a little bit upset because they feel like Bernie Sanders is more beatable than Joe Biden. First of all, I think that Biden is eminently beatable. If Donald Trump cannot beat a geriatric, half senile, half corrupt Joe Biden, then honestly, that's on Trump. I mean, seriously, that's on Trump. Joe Biden is not a formidable candidate by any stretch of the imagination. If Trump is unable to beat him, that is on no one except for President Trump. There are a lot of ways in which Hillary Clinton was actually a more formidable candidate than Joe Biden, namely that Hillary Clinton was capable of stringing a sentence together from time to time and was not apparently going senile or she had other health problems, but senility was not one of them. When I say that Biden is senile, by the way, again, this is not ageism. This is called using your eyeballs. It's called using your ears. When you watch Joe Biden talk, the man can barely hold it together for a particular period of time. And this is why his campaign has already said he's going to start doing shorter speeches, not longer speeches. Look for him to barely be on the campaign trail in long, drawn out scenarios. In fact, there's supposed to be a debate next week. It's supposed to take place between Joe Biden and Bernie because Bernie isn't dropping out. He's going to carry this thing all the way to the convention so he can try to parlay his delegates into some sort of power inside the DNC. Well, they're supposed to basically have a one-on-one debate for two hours, no audience. Now, normally that would really help Biden. The reason there's no audience, of course, is because of coronavirus. Coronavirus concerns had both Biden and Bernie canceling rallies last night. Biden gave his victory speech to a half-empty house, essentially. It was a very weird dynamic, but... They're supposed to have a debate the way that debates actually should be had in presidential arenas, which is no audience, because who the audience is really stacks the room. Bernie has benefited in debates where a lot of his supporters are there, people shouting and screaming for Bernie. Well, when there is no actual audience, then who exactly is Bernie going to play to? The commies across America? It's not going to play the same way. There is one area, though, where Biden is particularly vulnerable, and that is that Biden has been able to hide behind the fact that there are 1,000 people on stage up until now to talk for like a grand total of 16 minutes. Well, what happens when he suddenly has to fill an hour? I mean, Joe Biden can't fill a paragraph without making some sort of awful gaffe about his wife being his sister or running for Senate or AR-14s or something. So it's a broader chance for the American public to get to know the man who is not all there. So again, do I, am I, am I deeply worried that Trump cannot beat Biden? No. Do I think that Biden is a more formidable candidate than Sanders? Yes, because I think that basically... A rotted ham hock is a better candidate than Bernie Sanders. But with all of that said, you know, Joe Biden did run away last night with the vote. And a lot of that is a response directly to Bernie Sanders. 
Some people are saying this was due to coronavirus. It really isn't due to coronavirus. It's due to the fact that people saw Bernie Sanders as the front runner. He started to be analyzed as the front runner. Everybody realized he was an old commie and everybody ran headlong from him. Coronavirus has exacerbated this because people are looking for a sense of safety for the same reason that people buy bonds when they feel volatility. They're buying into Joe Biden right now because when there's volatility, you run to chicken soup and hot chocolate and all of the sort of comfort foods. Joe Biden is the comfort food of American politics. Joe Biden is basically mashed potatoes. I mean, with as much articulateness as a as a bowl of mashed potatoes. He, he's just there, right? He's there. He's been there for a long time. He doesn't worry you too much. He isn't too spicy. He isn't going to give you some sort of disease. He's not going to completely botch or mishandle things. He's just kind of there. Right? He's there like, like mashed potatoes are there. And so people ran to Joe Biden as a sort of sense of security in an ever-changing, ever-volatile world. Okay, we're going to get to more of these results, and we'll get to Biden's response and Bernie's response and all of this because Bernie is done. Bernie's not a thing anymore. Now, does that mean that for the future, the socialist agenda is done? That doesn't mean that at all. As we will see, the demographic breakdown last night is very bad for the moderates in the, demograph- in the Democratic Party for the future going forward from here. But we'll get to that in just a moment. First, let's talk about these are times when you just want to feel safe in your home. I mean, you do want to feel safe in your home, not just from things like coronavirus, but obviously from rising levels of crime in a lot of America's major cities. There's a story just the other day about rising street crime in New York. Here in Los Angeles, we've had serious cases of rising crime. The suburbs have become less safe. I know I am able to look, thanks to Ring, I'm able to look at crimes in my neighborhood, and those crimes are becoming ever more prevalent. Well, this is one of the reasons why you should have Ring devices on your home. Ring gives you protection at every corner, helps you create custom, affordable security for your home. Ring video doorbells let you answer the door and check in on your home anytime from anywhere. Ring's full home security systems, they give you everything you need to protect your family, pets, property. With Ring's outdoor security cameras, you can check in on every part of your house so you will never miss a moment. Ring helps you stay connected to your home anywhere in the world. Ring detects motion when people come onto your property. You receive notifications on your phone, tablet, PC. See, hear, speak to visitors in real time from anywhere. Get peace of mind knowing that your loved ones are safe. We use Ring devices on our home. You know, I have serious security concerns because of who I am, but just generally because there have been breakings and enterings in the neighborhood lately. You want Ring devices to make sure that your property is safe no matter where you are on planet Earth. Get a special offer on the Ring Welcome welcome Kit when you go to ring.com slash Ben. The Welcome Kit includes the Ring Video Doorbell 2 and Chime Pro. It's all you need to start building custom security for your home today. Just go to ring.com slash Ben. That is ring.com slash Ben. Again, I couldn't recommend them more highly. Ring.com slash Ben. So according to the New York Times, Joe Biden took command of the Democratic presidential race in decisive fashion on Tuesday, marshalling a powerful multiracial coalition in the South and the Midwest that swept aside Senator Bernie Sanders and completed Mr. Biden's rapid transformation from a sometimes fumbling underdog into his party's likely nominee. Well, he's still fumbling, but now he's the party's likely nominee. Replicating the combination of voters that delivered him broad victories a week ago on Super Tuesday, Biden won Michigan, Missouri, and Mississippi with overwhelming support from African-Americans and with large margins among suburban and rural white voters. Biden was also named the winner in Idaho, leaving little doubt by the end of the night that Sanders had lost his recent status as the progressive frontrunner in a race defined for months by feuding and factionalism on the moderate wing of the Democratic Party. It wasn't until Wednesday morning that Sanders picked up his first victory in North Dakota. Washington remained too close to call. Biden demonstrated his successes on Super Tuesday reflected more than fleeting good fortune and that many Democratic voters had rallied behind his candidacy in a lasting enough way to erase his embarrassing setbacks last month in Iowa and New Hampshire. So Joe Biden took to the stage last night to announce that he wants the support of the Bernie people. He doesn't want them running headlong from him. Good luck with this, Joe Biden. So here is Biden making his speech last night. I want to thank Bernie Sanders and his supporters for their tireless energy and their passion. We share a common goal, and together, we'll defeat Donald Trump. 
We'll defeat it together. We're regenerating a democratic base, the Democratic Party, the African-American community, high school educated folks like the ones I grew up with in Claymont, not far from here, in my old neighborhood, labor, suburban women, veterans, firefighters, union members, and so many more. Yeah, he's ba- he's barely alive, but that might be what voters are looking for in an era where, again, you don't know what's coming around the next bend. And President Trump is not exactly a beacon of stability and neither is Bernie Sanders. Joe Biden is not a beacon of stability in the sense that he might topple over literally at any time. But you, you get the feeling that, again, people who are barely not comatose generally do not provide a serious threat to people's feeling of of sort of stability. So th- there was Joe Biden last night trying to reach out to the Bernie Sanders people. Bernie's not going to have any of that, by the way. Bernie did not give a speech last night. When he gives a concession speech, it will likely be laced with all sorts of references to how the Democratic Party stepped in and stopped him. And again, none of this is to say that the future of the Democratic Party is bright here. Even if Joe Biden were to win, the future of the Democratic Party is with the insane, radical, progressive agenda of Bernie Sanders. The the age gaps in the Michigan exit polls are absolutely astonishing. This is according to the New York Times. If you were 18 to 24, which only represented 7% of voters because young people do not vote. It's a, it's a puzzle that Bernie never was able to solve because no one has ever been able to solve young voters not voting. Young voters are very loud. They go to rallies. Those people vote. Everybody else doesn't vote. This is one of the things people don't understand about campus politics. I get asked about campus politics a lot and people say, well, what do college students think? I said, well, 90% of them don't, at least not about politics. Right? The 10% that do are, are incredibly loud. They get outsized attention. Most college students are just there to party and drink and screw and, and get out of there with a degree. Okay, that, that's true for most young people in general. And so the idea that they're sitting around like deeply ensconced in the Bernie movement is just not true. But the ones who are involved are very, very radical. 83% of voters in Michigan who were between the ages of 18 and 24 voted for Bernie. 83 to 16. If you were between the ages of 25 and 29, 81% of those voters in Michigan voted for Bernie Sanders. If you were between 30 and 39, 62% of those voters voted for Bernie Sanders compared to just 34 who voted for Joe Biden. If you're between 40 and 49, Bernie still won a slight majority, 51 to 45 of those voters. It's among the older demographics, everybody over the age of 50, that Biden just cleaned up. Between 50 and 64, he won 66% of the vote. Between 65 and death, he won 73% of the vote. So that means that Biden is still relying on this older coalition of voters. That doesn't mean that he's going to lose the election because younger voters don't like him. It does mean that the future of the Democratic Party looks a lot more like Bernie Sanders and a lot and a lot less like Joe Biden. Now, with that said, there was a suburban surge for Joe Biden. According to The Washington Post, Biden's victory in Michigan was powered by landslide margins in the Detroit suburbs, places where turnout had been low in the 2016 primary. The same patterns played out in other states voting on Tuesday. The suburbs of cities like St. Louis, Kansas City, Memphis delivered big margins for Biden, bigger turnout than four years ago. DeSoto County, which contains the Mississippi-based suburbs of Memphis, was one of the first areas to report results. Four years ago, just 7,600 votes were cast for all candidates in the Democratic Party. Hillary won 5,600 votes. In 2008, the county cast slightly more than 10,000 votes. In Tuesday's primary, DeSoto cast 11,000 votes. Biden won 8,600 of them. That tracks with what happened in the state's 2018 and 2019 elections, when even as Democrats lost statewide races, they gained ground in suburbs. And that pattern was even more stark in Missouri. It was a swing state just 10 years ago, but now it has become a very red state. Turnout may be flat from 2016, but in Clay County, which is the suburbs north of Kansas City, 29,000 votes were cast with one precinct left to report. Four years ago, only 23,000 votes were cast in the county. 
From then to now, Sanders lost ground, winning 12,500 votes in that contest with Clinton. He came in below 11,000 votes on Tuesday, an easy win for Joe Biden. So the bottom line is that moderate suburbanites are coming out in droves. Now, this may mean, this may mean bad news for President Trump. This is an area where President Trump is particularly weak. Moderate suburbanites are the area that, that Trump really needs to make up some ground, right? That's the area where he sort of, basically the trade he made with Mitt Romney was Mitt Romney won a lot of these suburban people. He won, he won a lot of suburban white women. He won a lot of college-educated white, white men. Okay, and then Donald Trump traded a lot of that for more rural support. Well, what Trump really should have done is built on that rural support and then move back into the suburbs. The problem is that it is exactly Trump's persona that is off-putting to a lot of suburban women, particularly. And Joe Biden, again, is a sort of comfort food for a lot of these folks. And so that's a problem for President Trump. But the, the bigger problem for Joe Biden right now is how does he unify the party? Because Bernie is not going to step back inside the party. Remember, Bernie is not a party animal. Bernie does not really belong in the Democratic Party. He has spent his entire life doing nothing and being a gadfly. That's been his entire life. Now, the Democratic Party has picked and chosen from Bernie's agenda, right? They've picked from the Bernie tree. But that does not mean that Bernie is in good standing with the Democratic Party or anything like that. So bringing him back into the fold, Hillary was not able to bring Bernie back into the fold in 2016 after Bernie appeared to be the de facto Democratic nominee just three weeks ago. Him being rejected by an overwhelming number of big name Democratic donors, as well as a lot of big name Democratic politicians and the DNC. You could see the Bernie bros just saying, listen, we'll stay home. We don't care. As much as Joe Biden is trying to reach out to the Bernie bros, a lot of Bernie bros are not going to be into this. And, and despite the, the attempts by the Pods of America crowd to say we got to rally to beat Trump, I, I am not certain. I really am not certain that there are a lot of Bernie Sanders voters who hate Trump more than they hate the Democratic Party establishment. I think there may be a lot of Demo there may be a lot of Bernie voters who hate the Democratic establishment more and want to punish the Democratic establishment for nominating Biden. And so simply just don't go to vote. By the way, the same thing would have happened inside the Republican Party if Trump had not been given the nomination at the at the convention. If Trump had ended up being skunked at the very last minute by a coalition, there, there's a good shot that a lot of those Trump voters would have just said, listen, we're not going to show up. We don't want an, especially if it had been in favor of Jeb, right? If it had been in favor of somebody who was long considered sort of the next in line, there would have been a lot of Republican voters who would have walked away from the Republican Party. The same thing could be in the offing. And the Democrats are making a fairly large scale mistake if they refuse to, they're sort of between a rock and a hard place. If they continue to let Bernie Sanders on TV, if they continue to let Bernie Sanders debate Biden, he's just going to damage Biden. If they don't, Biden, then, then Bernie's going to claim that everything is wrong and that everything is corrupt and that everything is foul. And then he's going to drive his supporters away from the Democratic Party. So it's a bit of a catch-22 for the Democrats. They either have to bet that most Bernie voters are going to come around, whatever Bernie says, or they have to bet that if they give Bernie another shot, like allow him a bunch of debates, then Bernie will somehow become a team player at the last moment. Neither one of those are particularly good bets. Again, this is one of the problems with humoring the alligator until he eats you last. We'll get to more of this in just one second. First, let us talk about a great pair of earbuds. Okay, so what kind of earbuds are you using to listen to the show? Using the ones with the wires? Yeah, are, aren't you? Right? I mean, they were cheaper. You've had them for a while. There's only one problem. One, they're not very good. Well, actually, there are several problems. One, they're not very good. Two, you wrap them up, you put them in your pocket. Every time you take them out again, and that takes you 20 minutes in order to be able to listen to what you want to listen to. You need wireless headphones. The only problem is those wireless earbuds that you're looking at right now, yeah, those ones, they're really expensive. And they are one size fits all. So they could fall out of your ear. This is why what you need are Raycons. Unlike some of your other wireless options, Raycon earbuds are stylish and discreet. There are no dangling wires, no stems. They come in a variety of colors. Most importantly, they come with a variety of fits. They send you a metal card. On the metal card are a variety of rubber pieces that fit 
in your ear in particular ways, you can find one that is perfect for you. Raycon has just released their best model yet, the E25. They have six hours of playtime, seamless Bluetooth pairing, more bass and more compact design that gives you a nice noise isolating fit. Raycon's wireless earbuds are incredibly comfortable. They are perfect for on-the-go listening as well as for taking phone calls. Pick up a pair, see what the hype is all about. I use Raycons routinely. They are excellent. My wife has Raycons as well. Get 15% off your order at buyraycon.com slash Ben. That is B-U-I-R-A-Y-C-O-N.com slash Ben. Buyraycon.com slash Ben for 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds. Buyraycon.com slash Ben. Go check them out right now. Okay, so as I say, the battle over what to do with Bernie now is breaking out into the open in the Democratic Party. James Carville, who, who's... Honestly, his input into the Democratic primaries was pretty invaluable for helping boost Joe Biden. He kept saying, like, if we nominate Bernie, we're going to get slaughtered here, guys. And people took him fairly seriously. Well, now James Carville is saying, let's shut this puppy down. This thing is over. Why are we allowing Bernie on stage some more? We got to acknowledge that he created a movement. He, he did some, some some truly remarkable things in American politics. And, and certainly Vice President Biden, we got to talk to him and, and discuss this. But we also we can't we can't diss these Democratic voters who are just coming out in, in every corner of this country saying, let's get on with this thing. Now, our mission as a party is to defeat Donald Trump. According to 538, there's a 99 to one chance that, that Vice President Biden is going to be the nominee. Let's shut this puppy down and let's move on and worry about November. This thing is decided. There's no reason to keep it going, but not even a day longer. Okay, so he's saying no more debates, no more primaries. Let's just be done with this thing. It's, it's, it's done. We are finished. And he is right, statistically speaking. I mean, Carville can read the data as well as anybody can. Hey, Bernie's done. Bernie is toast. Bernie is a shriveled piece of, of red debris. I mean, he is, he's finished. He's going back to his pudding cups. He's going back to his lake house, and that's it. Okay, but that does not mean that he can't make trouble from the outside. James Clyburn trying to do the same thing. Again, this does give the sense inside the Democratic Party that the Democratic Party elite, that the heads of the Democratic Party are trying to shut down Bernie, which of course is exactly the, exactly the message that Bernie wishes to promote. I mean, what Bernie would love more than anything else is to spend the next two months fulminating about how the Democratic Party shut the door on him the minute that they got the opportunity. They barely opened the door wide enough to let him through. And then the minute he stuck his foot in, they proceeded to cut off his toes. Old mythical Cinderella style. By the way, little known facts about the Cinderella myth. Originally, the stepsisters cut off their toes to try and fit their feet inside the glass slippers. Just weird things you didn't know. In any case, James Clyburn, who was the chief sponsor of Joe Biden's victory in South Carolina, his late stage endorsement was very important to Biden. Clyburn said, there shouldn't be any more debates. We're done here. I think we will be at a point where Joe Biden will be the prohibitive nominee of the party, and I think the DNC, the Democratic National Committee, should then step in, make an assessment, and determine whether or not they ought to have any more debates. Okay, so again, this this does look like the Biden team attempting to shut down all future possibilities for Bernie Sanders, for Bernie re-entering the debate, which could theoretically be the worst move. Van Jones on CNN, he was saying, listen, this is a mistake. Biden needs to reach out to Bernie somehow. Now, the problem is there isn't a great way to reach out for the for the for the craggy, old, annoying communist. Like, what exactly do you do to bring that guy inside the tent? Here's Van Jones saying that Biden needs to do more. But again, how do you negotiate with with a, a political militant like Bernie Sanders? They thought that they were going to be able to surround the a divided establishment with their movement, crush that divided establishment and move forward. Instead, the establishment united and stopped them. Now, what do you do? Last time Bernie Sanders got beaten, there was an assumption that all his people were just going to fall in line and vote against Trump. And there was not enough care for the concern and the pain of his base. I think tonight there's going to be a lot of crowing, a lot of relief on the part of the establishment. 
but keep it temperate and turn. Turn to those people and say, we want to be your champion. Yeah. If you don't do that, you're going to have a Pyrrhic victory. Okay, so, so Joe Biden did do that. I don't think that it's going to be enough. I mean, if you, have you ever talked to people who are like big Bernie Sanders fans? They despise the Democratic establishment. They despise Joe Biden. I mean, they hated Pete Buttigieg. They thought that Buttigieg was too much of a sellout. What do you think they think of Joe Biden, an 80-year-old lifelong Democrat whose great accomplishments have included naming train stations after himself on Amtrak? And what, what do you think that they think about that guy? What do you think they think about the guy who was taking institutional Democratic money? What do you think they think about a guy, every relative of whose has actually been involved in some or other form of corruption? I don't think those people come back inside the tent. And that is the largest institutional obstacle to Joe Biden becoming president of the United States. So th th that is where things stand. Now, again, Joe Biden's basic pitch, and it, it, he was throwing it out there yesterday, is that Joe Biden was going to be a solidifying figure in American politics. That has been his pitch. There's a problem with that, too, which is that Joe Biden is not himself particularly solid. As I say, the fact that he is nearly comatose is probably his best asset. I've been saying this really since he declared that the fact that he's almost a dead person, almost literally, that that is actually a good thing for him because it makes people feel that he is not threatening to them. Right? He's not going to leap off that deathbed and suddenly club you over the head with Medicare for all. That's not something that Joe Biden is capable of doing. But in a campaign, the notion that he is some sort of real return to grace, that is an overstatement by the media. And I think people are going to find that out really quickly. Donald Trump does have a few lines of attack on Joe Biden that he has yet to lose. One is obviously the corruption. He did go after Joe Biden on the Hunter Biden stuff. There's a report yesterday that James Biden, who is Joe's brother, is now in trouble over basically going to some sort of health firm and suggesting to them that his brother was going to sponsor government regulation that would help the company. And then he proceeded to bilk the firm of hundreds of thousands of dollars. We know that some of his other brothers have been involved in some stuff like this. I think it was Frank who was involved in some corrupt activity or alleged corrupt activity down in Florida. So that is one line of attack that you can expect from President Trump. Obviously, you're going to see President Trump hit Sleepy Joe for being, again, on, on the verge of senility. But the, the third line of attack is that Joe Biden isn't himself that stable. So Joe Biden has been perceived as a more stable quantity than Donald Trump, because pretty much everybody is perceived as a more stable quantity than Donald Trump. But when Joe Biden makes the pitch that he is sort of the savior of American grace, it's a, it's a weird pitch. It's a very weird pitch. We're going to get to that in just one second. First, let's talk about the fact that you may have employees who are not exactly what you need. Let's say, for example, that you had an employee. Let's call him Michael Moles. And let's say this employee was always on the bubble. Like this person was pretty much useless when you hired him. And so you decided, okay, well, let's try him in a talent role. And then he proved himself to be slightly less useless in the talent role. And then let's say that he went to a conference, let's call it CPAC, where he proceeded to hobnob with a bunch of people. And it turns out that somebody at CPAC had coronavirus. And then instead of self-quarantining, this, let's say this person just strolled on into the office, was taking off his shirt, throwing his skin cells everywhere. Let's say he was just hacking, hacking up a lung. And let's say that he was on the verge of basically poisoning everybody in your office with coronavirus. Would you keep this person around? Would you? Well, if you were looking for a placement for Michael Moles, which I have been for years, but I haven't tried yet, maybe I should try ZipRecruiter.com. If you need to find the best candidate for your growing business, ZipRecruiter is your smart, efficient hiring solution. From healthcare to manufacturing to professional and business services, ZipRecruiter makes hiring great people faster and easier as well. Today, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash DailyWire. When you go to ZipRecruiter with one click, you send your job to ZipRecruiter's network of over 100 leading job sites. What happens next? ZipRecruiter finds the best matches for your job and then invites them to apply. It's so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter do get a quality candidate within the very first day. So I am certainly going to list Michael Moles as a derelict 
useless human being, and we are going to replace him using ZipRecruiter.com. We can try ZipRecruiter for free. We're going to go to ZipRecruiter.com slash DailyWire. That is ZipRecruiter.com slash D-A-I-L-Y-W-I-R-E. ZipRecruiter.com slash DailyWire. ZipRecruiter is indeed the smartest way to hire. The good news for Michael is that maybe out there, there's somebody looking for a janitor and using ZipRecruiter.com slash DailyWire. And Michael is eminently qualified for that job. So you should go check out ZipRecruiter.com slash DailyWire. Alrighty. So as I say, Joe Biden's Final pitch really is that he is a return to character. This is what he's been. This was his opening ad. It is now his closing ad. Here is Joe Biden making that pitch last night. Everything that has made America, America is truly at stake. I believe this nation can overcome four years of Donald Trump, but given eight, four more years, he'll forever and fundamentally change the very character of this nation. We can't let that happen. But winning means, but winning means uniting America, not sowing more division and anger. Okay, so this is his pitch. There's only one problem. Joe Biden is not a good messenger for this pitch. He is not a good messenger for this pitch. Like yesterday, he was in Michigan, he was campaigning, and a bunch of hard hats in Michigan walk up to him and start asking about his gun policy. Now, Joe Biden is a gun grabber. I mean, we have proof that he's a gun grabber. Joe Biden, in this exchange, proceeds to threaten to kick somebody's ass, threatens to take it outside, suggests that somebody's being a horse's ass, and then also lies about his gun record. Now, I know there are a lot of people on the right who are like, well, you know, how could Joe Biden act like this? Okay, guys, let's be real. Donald Trump is president, okay? So can we spare me with the pearl clutching? The pearl clutching isn't the thing. The thing is that Biden lies about his record consistently, but also it does undercut Joe Biden's I am a statesman routine when he is not, in fact, all that statesman-like. He has been kind of a, a, sl- a slightly kooky uncle figure. For, for quite a while, here is Joe Biden being a slightly kooky uncle figure who gets drunk at the family picnic and then threatens to fight you after you say that the Yankees are overrated this year. Okay, so Joe Biden is yelling things that don't even make sense. The guy's saying um, an AR-15 is not a machine gun. And Joe Biden's like, yes, it is. Yes, it is. And the guy's like, well, no, it's not. He's like, do you need 100 rounds? Completely different argument. Okay, then he says you don't need an AR-14, which is not a gun. And then he suggests, don't be a horse's ass. An AR is a machine gun. I'm not working for you. You're full of bleep. He tells the guy to shush. That's your model of stability, Democrats? Like, really? That's the guy who is your model of stability? Also, it happens to be that he's lying about his own record on guns. The guy comes forward and he says, you're going to grab our guns. And Biden's like, I would never grab your guns. I love the Second Amendment. Okay, let's just remember Joe Biden five minutes ago suggesting he was going to put full-on, full-tilt gun grabber Beto O'Rourke in charge of his national gun policy. I want to make something clear. I'm going to guarantee you this is not last year's scene of this guy. You're going to take care of the gun problem with me. You're going to be the one who leads this effort. I'm counting on you. I'm counting on you. Okay, that was five minutes ago. Also, Joe Biden was straight up asked whether he would take people's guns. And his answer was, bingo, malarkey, blackjack, and stupid. To gun owners out there who say, well, a Biden administration means they're going to come for my guns. Bingo. You're right if you have an assault weapon. The fact of the matter is they should be illegal, period. Look, the Second Amendment doesn't say you can't 
restrict the kinds of weapons people can own. Bingo bongo, Jack. Bingo bombo, malarkey McBlackjack. Hey, this is this is your captain of stability and also a person who is indeed lying about his own record, which is something that Biden has done routinely. He he's I don't know whether he actually knows he's lying or whether he just thinks he's telling the truth. I really don't know, which is a great quality in a politician. Seriously, when they don't even know whether they're lying, it's a fantastic quality. I remember when Joe Biden was debating Paul Ryan in the vice presidential debate back in 2012. And Joe Biden just said in the middle of the debate that Lebanon had kicked Iran out of out of the country. And I just remember thinking, is that a thing that happened? Like, I don't remember any of that happening. And Ryan, I think, also had the reaction like, I'm pretty sure that didn't happen, but I can't call him on it because maybe I'm wrong. But the fact is that Joe Biden does have an unusual facility to say things that are not true with a straight face, mainly because I'm not sure that he knows they're not true. But but bottom line is that Joe Biden, if the if the image of him is a font of of rationality and foundational stability in a time of volatility, I'm not sure this is your guy. I mean, five minutes ago, he was saying to people he was calling people fat on the campaign trail, calling him a damn liar. This was like two months ago, two months ago. You're selling access to the president, just like he is. So you're a damn liar, man. That's not true. And no one has ever said that. No one has said that. No. You see it on the TV. You want to check my shape on? Let's do push-ups together, man. Let's do. Let's run. Let's do whatever you want to do. You said I set up my son to work in an oil company. Isn't that what you said? Get your words straight, Jack. But I, you're on the, on MSNBC. All you don't hear that on MSNBC. You did not hear that at all. What you heard, look, okay, I'm not going to get an argument with you, man. Well, yeah, you do, but, uh, but look, fat, look, here's the deal. Look, fat, look, here's the deal. That's, that's the guy who you're running up there as a return to American civility? That guy? As I've said a thousand times, Donald Trump is not a difference in kind. He's just a difference in tenor. That's all. Okay, Donald Trump is not radically different from Joe Biden in any appreciable way in terms of his attitudes or in terms of the language he uses. It's just he does more of it. So if Joe Biden is a return to normalcy, then normalcy ain't that great. And I think there are a lot of people who are about to find that out. Okay, in a second, we're going to give you all the coronavirus updates. Continues to be scary. We'll give you all the updates on what is going on with it in just one second. First, let's talk about the reality of running a business. One of your bigger costs is going to be HR. Okay, HR is a serious issue. And if you have compliance issues, if you have liability issues, HR can be a nightmare. But you don't have the money to go out and hire somebody for 80 grand a year to run HR for you. I mean, to, to handle the wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations. Instead, go check out Bambi. It's spelled B-A-M-B-E-E. It was created specifically for small business. You can get a dedicated HR manager, craft HR policy, and maintain your compliance all for just 99 bucks a month. With Bambi, you can change AR from your biggest liability to your biggest strength. Your dedicated HR manager is available by phone, email, or real-time chat. They craft a policy just for you. It's not somebody overseas. It's somebody in the United States helping you handle your HR. From onboarding to terminations, they customize your policies to fit your business and help you manage your employees day-to-day for 99 bucks a month. Like we here at Daily Wire, we have an entire HR department, but... You can't afford an entire HR department, but you need the same level of compliance. Go check out Bambi.com slash Shapiro right now. Month to month, no hidden fees. Cancel anytime. Go to Bambi.com slash Shapiro right now to schedule your free HR audit. That is Bambi.com slash Shapiro. Spell BAM to the B-E-E. Bambi.com slash Shapiro. B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash Shapiro. Go save yourself some time. Save yourself some money. And really... 
insulate yourself from liability right now. If you're a small business looking for HR, Bambi is the best. Check out Bambi.com slash Shapiro. Okay, we're going to get to coronavirus, all the updates, which are coming in fast and furious. Plus, Harvey Weinstein has now been sentenced to 23 years in prison. We'll get to that too. But first, time is running out to get 25% off all Daily Wire memberships with coupon code NEVERSOCIALIST. So hurry before the deal ends, just like Bernie Sanders' campaign. We bid a fond farewell to Bernie Sanders and his campaign and Soviet national anthem. Daily Wire members get an ad-free website experience, access to all of our live broadcasts and show library, the full three hours of the Ben Shapiro show, access to the mailbag, and now exclusive election insight op-eds from yours truly. Daily Wire members also get to ask us questions during backstage. Our new all-access tier allows you to join in live online Q&As with me and the other hosts, along with all of this, of course, Yet the magnificent, the irreplaceable, the singular leftist tears tumbler. If you haven't already, download the Daily Wire app so you can get all of our great content on the go. Again, that is 25% off on Daily Wire memberships for all plans using coupon code NEVERSOCIALIST. So head on over to dailywire.com slash subscribe. This would be the last week we will be giving you this magnificent offer. So act now before you regret it. That is dailywire.com slash subscribe. You're listening to the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. Well, in coronavirus news, the British health minister and conservative member of parliament, Nadine Dorries, has been diagnosed with coronavirus now. So the health minister of Great Britain has coronavirus. Ms. Dorries says she's been self-isolating at home. Labor MP Rachel Maskell said she has been told to do the same as she had met Ms. Dorries. The Department of Health in Britain said Ms. Dorries first showed symptoms on Thursday, the same day she attended an event hosted by the prime minister. Right now, UK had a documented total of 382 cases as of yesterday. Six people with the virus have died in the UK, in the United States. The total number of cases now has surpassed 1,000 cases in the United States. We have 29 deaths so far. The the clusters are happening on the coasts, mainly in Massachusetts, New York, Santa Clara, California, and up in Seattle, Washington. The first known U.S. coronavirus case was announced January 21st in Washington state. The pace of diagnosis has quickened significantly in recent weeks. At the start of the month, 70 cases had been reported in this country, most of them tied to overseas travel. Since then, new cases have been pouring in by the dozens and then by the hundreds. The coronavirus updates are coming fast and furious. The mayor of New York, Bill de Blasio, he said that there are lots of cases coming in like dozens per day in New York City. As testing is made available, it is obvious that there are a lot of people who are at least carrying coronavirus without knowing that they are carrying coronavirus. Uh, the the German public has now been warned that up to 70% of Germans face the possibility of infection. That's according to Angela Merkel. And of course, the top U.S. health official, Dr. Dr. Anthony Fauci, he said this is going to get worse. So Dr. Fauci said all hands are basically on deck with this thing. These are really simple. Keeping the workplace safe, keeping the home safe, keeping the schools safe, and keeping commercial establishments safe. This should be universal for the country. Everyone should be doing that, whether you live in a zone that has community spread or not. When you have community spread, you're obviously going to ratchet up the kinds of mitigations that you have. But at a minimum, this is the minimum that we should be doing. So everybody should say, all hands on deck, this is what we need to do. In non-shocking news, thanks to, again, the up and down of the coronavirus news, the stock market is getting creamed again today. It's just up and down insanely. It was up like 1,000 points yesterday. And then it has dumped again, back down 1,000 points, below 24,000 in early morning trading. Pretty amazing how the stock market is bouncing around like a yo-yo. Now, we're not going to know, honestly, where anything stands until the end of April. Megan McArdle has an interesting column over at the Washington Post. A lot of people, really, like everyone, is looking around going, I don't see a lot of coronavirus out there. We've had a grand total of like 4,000 deaths worldwide. If you look at the flu every year, it kills like 100,000 people worldwide minimum. 
maybe hundreds of thousands of people worldwide every year. So why are we also worried about coronavirus? Well, Megan McArdle has this statistical thought experiment to remind you that when there's an exponential growth factor, things move really quickly, right? You don't see anything and then you see everything. Right. It, let, let's say that you have a pond with lily pads. This is the example that she gives statistically, and it explains why we're all so worried today. If you have a pond with lily pads and the lily pads are going to overtake the pond as they grow, and each day the lily pads double, right? the number of lily pads double. So let's say that day one, it's one, day two, it's two, day three, it's four. Right, So it keeps doubling. On the very last day, the lily pads cover the entire pond. The question is, at what point did lily pads cover half the pond? Right? At what point did lily pads cover half the pond? And the answer is, the day before they covered the entire pond, right? Because if they're doubling every day, then that means that half the pond was covered yesterday. And today, boom, suddenly the entire pond is covered. That is how exponential growth works. Okay, that is what people are fearing in terms of coronavirus, is that when you have exponential growth of coronavirus, what you end up with is no one around me has it. Oops, everyone around me has it, right? That 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 is what people are fearing, is that suddenness, that sudden uptick. And this is what is being feared by the Trump former Homeland Security Advisor, Tom Bossert. He says hospitals are basically 10 days away from being creamed. He suggested in an op-ed that we are we are in trouble in terms of our, our hospital facilities. He says officials must pull the trigger on aggressive interventions. He said aggressive inter- interventions put off and ease the peak burden on hospitals and other healthcare infrastructure. And that, of course, is true. As coronavirus swells, then the hospitals need to be prepared. As I already said, Mayor Bill de Blasio has said that things are happening intensely in New York City. And Governor Jay Inslee has now restricted gatherings of more than 250 people in King County, as well as several, as well as Snohomish and Pierce counties, which are the the biggest counties in Washington state. That means no soccer games. It means no, it means no baseball games. It means that basically all major gatherings ought to be canceled, according to Jay Inslee, the governor of Washington state. Dr. Fauci has suggested there be no crowds at NBA games. So basically, if you have tickets for opening day in the United States for baseball, you can fairly bank that that is not going to happen. A lot of colleges are canceling events. I would not be surprised if my college events this semester, for example, are canceled. That would not be a great shock. Again, I think that all of this makes a certain amount of sense, like better caution than to have this viral outbreak. You want to reduce the the, the spread and the, and the quickness of the spread to, to give us time. Right now, we're bargaining for time, right? We don't know what the death rates are on this thing. We just don't. And what that means is that every attempt to slow the spread of the virus buys a day for people to develop vaccines that are going to be more effective in slowing or stopping the spread of the virus so it becomes just another seasonal problem instead of becoming an overwhelming threat to Western populations. So this it is in this light that it is important to recognize that when the federal government fails along this uh, along these lines, it can be absolutely disastrous. There's a, a piece from the New York Times that is just devastating, talking about how the federal government did in fact blow the month that President Trump bought. So President Trump said very early on, we are shutting down travel from China. And a lot of people on the left are like, oh, this is racist. Oh, this is terrible. Same people who are saying Wuhan virus. Wuhan virus is racist. You can't say Wuhan virus. Okay, so Trump said, no, we're shutting down travel. That was a very good thing. It was a very smart thing. It was the right thing to do. The problem is that only buys you time because it turns out that some people are going to get in and then you got a problem. So what did the federal government do with the month that President Trump bought them by shutting down travel from from Wuhan? The answer is basically nothing. According to Dr. Helen Chu, an infectious disease expert in Seattle, she knew the United States did not have much time. In late January, the first confirmed American case of coronavirus had landed in her area. Critical questions needed answers. Had the man infected anyone else, according to the New York Times? Was the deadly virus already lurking in other communities and spreading? As luck would have it, Dr. Chu had a way to monitor the region. 
For months, as part of a research project into the flu, she and a team of researchers had been collecting nasal swabs from residents experiencing symptoms throughout the Puget Sound region. To repurpose the test for monitoring coronavirus, they would need the support of state and federal officials. But nearly everywhere Dr. Chu turned, officials repeatedly rejected the idea, interviews and emails show, even as weeks crawled by and outbreaks emerged in countries outside of China where the infection began. By February 25th, Dr. Chu and her colleagues could not bear to wait any longer. They began performing coronavirus tests without government approval, but came back confirmed their worst fear. They quickly had a positive test from a local teenager with no recent travel history. The coronavirus had already established itself on American soil without anybody realizing it. Dr. Chu recalled thinking, it must have been here this entire time. It's just everywhere already. In fact, officials would later discover through testing the virus had already contributed to the deaths of two people. It would go on to kill 20 more in the Seattle region over the following days. Federal and state officials said the flu study could not be repurposed because it didn't have explicit permission from research subjects. The labs were also not certified for clinical work. While acknowledging the ethical questions, Dr. Chu and others argued there should be more flexibility in an emergency during which so many lives could be lost. This is correct. I mean, like, if you give permission for somebody to do a nasal swab for flu, and then that is repurposed to nasal swab for coronavirus, I, I honestly fail to see how any reasonable person would consider that a violation of privacy. Like, oh, nobody must know that I had coronavirus. Like, they're not going to release your specific coronavirus tests. It just allows the state to do something. On Monday night, state regulators told them to stop testing altogether. The failure to tap into the flu study detailed here for the first time was just one in a series of mischances by the federal government to ensure more widespread testing during the early days of the outbreak when containment would have been easier. Instead, local officials across the country were left to work in the dark as the crisis grew undetected and exponentially. Now, do I think this is Trump's fault? No. I don't. I don't think Trump is monitoring local level tests. I think this is the fault of a massive regulatory bureaucracy that prevents people from doing reasonable things. It turns out that the federal government, while it is well placed to issue broad national guidelines, is not well placed to deal with local testing that has to be done. It turns out that local communities may be the, the fastest to react to this sort of thing. Right? Voluntary shutdowns right now are happening across the country with regard to major public events. And those are happening on the local and state level without the federal government even doing anything. It turns out that people who see federalism as the obstacle to this sort of thing, they're doing it wrong. Local and state officials are more answerable to local populations and are, in fact, more likely to request that people do responsible things. I mean, the fact is that Purim was yesterday in the, in the Jewish community. Basically, every Purim Seuda that I heard of in my area, meaning every big Purim meal with big gatherings, lots of kids, those were basically shut down voluntarily without any guidance from the federal, state or local officials. Okay, so, so the notion that the federal government needs to be running this thing in extraordinarily top-down fashion, the federal government needs to be coordinating all the officials, letting them know sort of the minimum of what they expect, but standing in the way of local officials doing what they need to do to tamp this thing down is a completely different thing. And that is a testament to the stupidity of bureaucracy generally. It is just a very, very light shadow of what happened in China in the very early stages where China was literally imprisoning people talking about this stuff. When you have the CDC saying to people, you can't repurpose that flu testing kit in order to test for coronavirus because you may violate federal protocols, just demonstrates the idiocy of having a bureaucracy this large and this ridiculous. Doesn't mean we don't need federal staffers. We do. But having a bureaucratic thicket like this that is unable, impenetrable, that, that, that is a big mistake. Dr. Robert Redfield director of the CDC, said in an interview on Friday that acting quickly was critical for combating an outbreak. He said, time matters. He said, there's still time to beat back coronavirus in the United States. He said, it's going to take rigorous, aggressive public health. What I like to say, block and tackle, block and tackle. It means if you find a new case, you isolate it. But the question is, how exactly are you going to isolate it when testing kits are not available widely? Only about 8,500 specimens or nose swabs have been taken at all since the beginning of the outbreak. 
a figure that is almost certainly larger than the number of people tested since one person can have multiple swabs. By comparison, South Korea, which discovered its first test case around the same time as the U.S., has reported having the capacity to test 10,000 people a day since late February. That is indeed a failure of the federal government. That does not mean, again, that it's Trump's fault. It does mean that the response here by the CDC was absolutely insufficient in the early days. The agency released criteria for deciding which individuals should be tested for the virus. At first, they said only those who had a fever and respiratory issues and had traveled from the outbreak's origin in Wuhan. The criteria were so strict that a sick man in Seattle who had visited Wuhan did not even meet it. Still, worried state health officials pushed him to get checked, and finally the CDC agreed, and then his results came back positive. Around this time, the Washington State Department of Health began discussions with the Seattle flu study. There was a hitch. The flu project primarily used research labs, not clinical ones. Its coronavirus test was not approved by the FDA. So the group was not certified to provide test results to anyone outside their own investigators. Scott McDowell, a former CDC official, current deputy director at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, asked for help from leaders of the CDC's coronavirus response. Later, Dr. Lindquist, the state epidemiologist in Washington, wrote an email to Dr. Alicia Fry, the chief of the CDC's epidemiology and prevention branch, requesting the study be used to test for coronavirus. CDC repeatedly said, not possible. They said you have to check with the FDA. So instead, CDC kicked it over to the FDA. The FDA could not offer the approval because the lab was not certified. And so none of the tests actually get done. The answer to this is obviously Medicare for all and a massive federal bureaucracy running this thing from top down. Obviously, that is the answer to all of this. That was an argument, by the way, you heard in the immediate aftermath of the outbreak was that we need more federal interventionism. Okay, two things can be true at once. You need more effective federal intervention. And also, if you are talking about layers upon layers of bureaucracy making things better, wrong go, wrong go. So this is where things stand at current. This sort of uncertainty means that it's going to set us back a while. It means that we are not going to have clear information on exactly the extent of coronavirus. And again, we are starting to see isolated cases. It does affect mainly elderly people. Their nursing home industry is basically advised, if you have a parent in a nursing home, do not go visit them right now. Not because they're going to infect you, but because you might unknowingly infect them. And then it'll run like wildfire throughout the entire nursing home. That's what happened in Kirkland, Washington. It's also impacting small clusters of of younger, more healthy people. There was a, a man named Mark Tebalt, who was one of the first Americans diagnosed with the novel coronavirus. And apparently he ended up in the ICU at Providence Hospital fighting the illness that attacked his lungs. He says, I was one inch from death, no doubt about it. Roughly 80% of COVID-19 cases tend to be mild or moderate. More than 62,000 people globally have recovered. Older people, those with underlying health conditions are at a higher risk. This guy had asthma. That is his only underlying health condition. With that said, you know we, we just don't know where this thing is going at this point. And that's why caution is necessary. It's good that the Bernie and, and Biden campaigns canceled their rallies. That is a smart thing to do. Also, the attempts to to push bailouts at this point, the kind of bailouts that are being talked about, the federal government has never seen an opportunity for a bailout it didn't take, but the bailouts they're talking about are largely going to be ineffective. Right now, we are in a watch and wait time when everybody needs to exercise caution. We should be using social distancing. If you don't have to go to a large gathering, you probably should not go to a large gathering. You know, all of, at least for a couple of weeks. Now, this, this is the important thing to remember in all of this. There is a timeline here. Okay, this is not indefinite. We're not talking about a year from now. You're not going to be able to go to a baseball game or a basketball game. Three months from now, you're probably fine to go to a baseball game or a basketball game. China tamped this thing down within three months of its outbreak. They've now seen declining diagnoses. Same thing in South Korea. But the faster we take measures to protect ourselves, the faster this thing is going to peter out. That would be the goal here. So that's important. So Netflix and chill might be the answer to some of our problems here. So subscribe to The Daily Wire and watch all the old episodes. 
is basically one of the answers here. Alrighty, time for a thing I like and then a couple of things that I hate. So things that I like today. I myself have been reading science fiction late into the evenings. This is because when you have a small child who's crying throughout the night, what exactly are you going to do when you are the husband? And my wife is busy and she can feed the child. I cannot. So this means I just keep her company and I read sci-fi. So I've been reading Isaac, rereading Isaac Asimov's foundation novels. They are fantastic. Asimov's foundation novels really sort of change the sci-fi world. They, they, they do illustrate the difference between sci-fi and fantasy. The basic difference between sci-fi and fantasy, actually Asimov, there's a really kind of cool short story filled little sci-fi magazine that comes out every couple of months uh, with, with major writers writing for it. It's called Asimov. And there's an essay at the beginning of last month's Asimov magazine talking about the difference between sci-fi and fantasy, because sometimes it's hard to tell the difference. And the basic difference is that there are predictable rules in the sci-fi world that are not broken by deus ex machina. Well, that, that is Asimov's universes, right? Asimov's universes are filled with these sort of predictable rules. You establish the rules and then you live by the rules. He's a really creative thinker. The foundation novels are, of course, classics of the genre. And they, the original foundation novel is just fantastic. I'm not going to spoil it for you. If you've never read it, you should go check it out. It is appropriate for all ages, effectively. It is great. Go check it out. Isaac Asimov's The Foundation Novels. And you start with Foundation, then you move on to Second Foundation. There's Foundation and Empire. And there are a bunch of them. But the, the first three, particularly, are pretty good. Okay, time for some things that I hate. So, the, the person hardest hit by Bernie Sanders falling flat on his face in the primaries last night was the the irrepressible AOC. So AOC went on her Instagram and lamented Bernie Sanders' loss last night. She is more conciliatory with the Democratic Party infrastructure than many people thought she would be. I'm not particularly shocked by that. AOC does not want to be alienated from all the halls of power. She's been smart enough to sort of push until she met resistance from Nancy Pelosi and then back off. This led David Axelrod to label AOC a pragmatic figure inside the Democratic Party, which is true as far as it goes. The problem is, is that AOC's pragmatism is really about the lack of pragmatism by the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party is apparently totally willing to go along with socialism if they have to. And they have, they have really ceded far too much ground to Bernie. It's going to come back to bite them. They ceded far too much ground to AOC. So yeah, she looks pragmatic in the sense that she is not running screaming away from the Democratic Party. The problem for the Democrats is they should be running screaming away from AOC. Here's Axelrod labeling her pragmatic, which really is to suggest the Democratic Party is itself not pragmatic. Let me suggest that uh, I think that one person who may important in this process is AOC. Uh, uh, She she has emerged as a really uh, important figure among these young Americans who are yearning for real serious solutions to these problems. And yet she's shown herself to be a very uh, pragmatic yet principled figure. Okay, now here's the problem. The minute that she actually comes to grips with Joe Biden, the minute she starts campaigning for Joe Biden, if Bernie sits this one out, then she becomes the outlier. Bernie is still the leader of this movement, not AOC. AOC may drive crowds, but she does not have a coherent constituency in the same way that Bernie Sanders does. AOC last night, she got on that Instagram and she was lamenting about it. She said, there's no sugarcoating it. It's a tough night. And then she suggested, she she congratulated Biden on his win. She said, if you win a race, you win a race, which is a lot more conciliatory than, than Sanders is going to be. Obviously, she said older voters, which we know are more reliable voters, which we know turn out, have decisively gone to Vice President Biden. She said there's a generational divide within the Democratic Party on health care, on climate change, on foreign policy, pretty much every policy imaginable. As a younger person in this movement, I take a lot of that information for how we navigate the next decade. So she's basically saying, OK, guys, hold off. Support Biden for now. We'll be back. AOC definitely wants to run for president in just a few years. She is not denying that. Okay, that that is why she is practical. With that said, Bernie could provide a problem for AOC. Now, 
does any of this mean that AOC is actually in her right mind when it comes to politics? Of course not. Of course not. For example, here was AOC last night talking about how it was racist because people were not eating as much at Chinese restaurants. Again, I've not seen the evidence that people are not going to Chinese restaurants. But AOC suggests that there's widespread anti-Asian racism breaking out all over the United States. This is your pragmatic Democratic politician, AOC. Honestly, it sounds almost so silly to say, but there's a lot of restaurants that are feeling the pain of racism, uh, where people are literally not patroning Chinese restaurants. Um, They're not patroning Asian restaurants because of just straight up racism around the coronavirus. They're not patroning them. I mean, you, you mean you do have to worry about people patronizing other people, patronizing. Like right now, I'm patronizing her. I'm being very patronizing toward AOC. Yes, it has dual meanings, secondary definitions. Okay, so it, that, is your, that is your practical Democratic politician, AOC. By the way, a lot of businesses are struggling right now over legitimate concerns. Okay, Chinese restaurants have been reporting a drop in business. That is true. It is also true that a lot of restaurants are reporting a drop in business. You know why? There are a lot of hard surfaces at restaurants. There's an entire article in the New York Times yesterday about what you should do during the coronavirus outbreak with regard to going to restaurants. One of their answers, if you want to order, order out. Because if you're actually at a restaurant, then you are presumably sitting at a table. A table is a hard surface. The hard surface has been patronized by, has, by, by other people who have been putting their hands all over that. If you have to go sign, then use a pen, use your finger, and then immediately use hand sanitizer because lots of hands all over lots of things at a restaurant. Okay, so this is not about people being like, oh, the Chinese restaurant, probably somebody has Wuhan virus there. That's not, like, this entire overblown idea that people are super racist about it, that we are in the midst of a second Japanese internment in the United States. None of that is true. Like, well, where's the evidence for this? The, the media are so focused on this sort of stuff in every instance, it's incredible. In the aftermath of 9-11, there was all this talk about a widespread upsurge in anti-Muslim violence. The statistics did not bear that out. Now we are getting all of these rumors of anti-Asian behavior all over the United States. And that is really not borne out by statistical by statistical proof. What's happening generally is that people are making, I would say that, is it possible that there are some people who are, who are wondering whether people have traveled to epicenters of coronavirus recently and they're more worried about that and they're using group data to make those decisions? I mean, that's possible. Is that racist? That's not really racist. That's just using sort of best available information. It's the difference between what Thomas Sowell called discrimination type one and discrimination type two. Discrimination type one is you are a bad person because you have a particular race. Discrimination type two is basically, I'm going to use the best available data at hand right now. Is there a better shot that you've traveled to Wuhan than somebody who's standing right next to you? If the answer is yes, I'm going to be a little bit more risk averse with regard to all of that. And maybe that's what people are using. That does not mean anti-Chinese racism. That does not mean that people are racist against Chinese people or racist against Asian people or anything like that. This is your reasonable voice inside the Democratic Party. Good luck to the future of the Democratic Party. Bernie Sanders may be gone, but his spirit lives on in the nuts in the squad who continue to be nuts and are not going anywhere. All righty, we'll be back here a little bit later today, two additional hours of content. Otherwise, we'll be back here tomorrow. Make sure that you subscribe and you use Never Socialist as our code right now, and you will get 25% off. That is ending shortly, so go check that out. We are the largest, well, you, you know what we are. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. <laughs> If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Clavin Show, 
The Michael Moles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Colton Haas, directed by Mike Joyner, executive producer Jeremy Boring, supervising producer Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling, assistant director Pavel Wydowski, technical producer Austin Stevens, playback and media operated by Nick Sheehan, associate producer Katie Swinnerton, edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Nika Geneva. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. Hey, everyone. It's Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. They say in politics, you can't beat someone with no one, but it looks like the Democrats are going to try to do exactly that by nominating Joe Biden and hoping they can just keep him from being seen before he screws up too badly. We'll talk about that and we'll have the mailbag so all your problems will be solved on The Andrew Claven Show. Did you know that mRNA vaccines are approved for use in pigs in the United States? Not to mention, 85% of the beef sold in your local grocery store is imported. In fact, over 5 billion pounds of meat was imported just last year. There's so much mystery surrounding our meat, which is why I'm so grateful for my Good Rancher subscription. I know that I don't have to worry about imported meat or unknown vaccines in the food that I feed my family. Good Ranchers is saying mRNO to mRNA by offering a free 10-pound Easter ham with any subscription. Unlike the pork from the grocery store, Good Ranchers ham is guaranteed 100% free from mRNA vaccines. This is a $119 value, absolutely free with code DAILYWIRE. Go to GoodRanchers.com and say mRNO to mRNA by subscribing today. You have a right to know exactly what's in your food, and Good Ranchers is dedicated to protecting that right and providing your family with the best meat in America, free from any unknown and potentially harmful additives. Go to GoodRanchers.com and subscribe to any of their boxes and use code DAILYWIRE at checkout. Every subscription will come with a free Heritage Ham, $25 off, and Good Ranchers Lifetime Quality Commitment. That's GoodRanchers.com, code DailyWire.